0: As promised, take your Bible and turn to Jude for the last time for a little bit. The book of Jude, it's on page 1406 in the Pew Bible, if you want to turn that way. I mention each week, or I mention some weeks, that the Pew Bible is there, and if you don't have a Bible, I would love for you to feel free to take that Bible, write your name in it, walk out with it, and every day, open it up and spend time in God's Word. I walk the sanctuary each week for a number of different reasons, but uh, I notice every now and then we've got to put Bibles back in their place, which means that people are taking them, and uh, that's good. Bibles that walk out and are in people's hands are good tools in this world. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, I was thinking, too, there was a moment about four weeks ago that I thought when I opened up the book of Jude to study on a Monday, that we were going to be in Jude for that one week, in one chapter, 25 verses. And then here we are four weeks later, and God has taught me so much. And I pray that you have been encouraged as well as we walk through it. It's an amazing thing that when you take time to study in the Word of God, how it just comes alive. Now, we're not going to do this, but I bet you we could start next week and go to Jude verse 1 and preach through it again, and God would continue to take this small book and impact our lives by it. So I pray that you will spend time in it. I asked myself an open-ended question this past Tuesday, and you're going, Jeff, so you're in your office talking to yourself. It would not be the first time and probably won't be the last. But I asked myself this open-ended question this past Tuesday. Jeff, what do you do to protect yourself? What do I do to protect myself? So I thought, and then I wrote down, and I came up with ideas. And when you have a four-foot by eight-foot whiteboard, you can... Write stuff down, walk away, think of other stuff, write stuff down, and it's still on there right now. But here are some of the things that I thought about, how I protect myself. When I run, I run toward the oncoming traffic. That way I can see everything that may hurt me and respond. I don't want to run with traffic coming up behind me. I think that's pretty scary. Uh, I never counsel with a woman alone in my office. I put on a seatbelt every time that I drive, and I encourage those riding with me to do the same thing. I keep snacks and Coke machine money in my desk. I've done this for years, as sometimes just out of nowhere, my blood sugar will drop. It's been true ever since I was a kid. And these snacks bring me back around. People know that if they see me all run down, all they got to do is run to the Coke machine and buy a Dr. Pepper or a Mountain Dew. And, and some of you are going, well, hold it, there's something wrong with you. That's not the right medical answer for this. <laughs> I'm sure that I'll get some help after service. Adam, you probably already know what's wrong with me, but, but it's been that way. But I do that to protect myself. I try to listen intently and take a moment to process and think before I answer. I never say anything about my wife that I have not already said to my wife. Some of you are going, can you say that about her? I've already told her. I'm, listen, I may be a lot of things, but I'm not a dumb husband, okay? <laughs> I keep a raincoat with me on days when it looks like it might rain. I rarely let my car get below a third of a tank of gas without filling up. I share my passwords and my phone with Angela. She has full access to everything in my life. I seek to be honest always. I find it is always better than a lie. And I'm certain I do many other things to protect myself. And I encourage you to take this line of thinking and go, what do I do to protect myself? But today, we'll use that as a jumping off point as we complete the book of Jude, as I've said a couple times. I ask you to stand with me. We're going to finish reading the final six verses of the book of Jude. We're going to read verses 20 through 25 of the book of Jude. Again, in the few Bible, that's on page 1,406. Jude 20 says this, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you, BC. You can keep your scripture open. We're going to walk back through this. And Jude just keeps on going, but he makes this transition in verse 20. He says, but you. Now this is a clear Course change by Jude. If you look back just in verse 19 that I did, it says, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit, but you. He's making a change. He's been warning the church about false doctrines, about false teachers up to this point. Now he turns from warning the church about these false teachers to his final teaching points that we just read in the book of Jude. Jude. Remember, he is teaching this to the ones that he said he shares a common salvation with. And the final three things he teaches, you know, I've, you, you know me. I've not been in the ministry my entire career. And so uh, I, I still remember, you know, it's been nine years ago or more that one of you in here, as we were thinking about bringing Jeff on as pastor, you go, but I don't even know if you can preach. And we're still nine years into it trying to figure out if I can or not. But, you know, we were talking about, you know, we can preach. But one of the things I've learned as I've tried to put sermons together and and things like that is I've got a certain rhythm of things that I include and what I do. But I also found out that I might be becoming one of these long-term preachers because I was reading the scripture and I had point one and I had point two and point two rhymed with point one. And I'm going, that's cool. But I had this third point. And I was walking around all week going, what's the word that I want to use as a summary? So if I want to give you three, I came up with one now. You're going, Jeff, that's a weak one, but we're going to figure that out. But write down these three words if you're note takers, and they're going to be what I believe sums up the remainder of the book of Jude. These three words are protective. Remember, I've already talked about what protects me. So protective, second word, effective. Third word, prospective. Now hold on to those three words, and we're going to talk about them all in the next few minutes together. But protective. I read this statement, the Christian life must never stand still. If it does, it will go backward. Do you know that right now, if you decide this week that you still love Jesus, but you're going to put your Bible away for a week or you're going to not be in church for a couple of weeks or you're just not going to go to Sunday school or something like that, you're going to find that no matter well how how strong your intentions are, you're going to find that your devotional life and your relationship with the Lord is going to go backwards. You know, you are either moving ahead or you're falling behind, but there is no standing still in your Christian life life. Verse 20, he says, but you, he is challenging the church, those who claim faith in Jesus to live differently. Now, Jude could be making a statement that is familiar in this church. He could be saying, it matters how you live. It matters to the Lord how you live. It matters to you how you live. It matters to those you love. It matters to those who are lost without Jesus how you You live. And so Jude says, but you, and then he goes on and he defines them in verse 20. Look at that. Beloved. He calls them beloved. Now Jude has referred, this is the third time in the book of Jude that he has referred to them as beloved. If you look in verse 3, beloved referring to their common salvation. They were precious to him. He loved them. They were special because they shared a common salvation, the gospel, in their lives. And then if you look at verse 17, it goes, Beloved, remember, and he's telling them to remember the words shared by the apostles about Jesus. I mentioned next week that we are going to remember and share in the Lord's Supper. That's a special thing. It's a thing that it's worth you stopping and allowing the Lord to examine your life in the next week. It is a special thing for us to share, beloved, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a special thing for us to remember what God's word has said. And Jude is reminding them of this. And then he tells them not only that, but beloved, you need to live a life different than what we've been talking about in the first 19 verses of the book of Jude. He says, but you, beloved. He's challenging those of the faith to do certain things, things that Jude believes if he's teaching them that will strengthen them, that will help them stay faithful and protect them from false doctrines and protect them from the false teachers. You know, I stopped this week and recognized, until Jesus returns, and he's going to return one day, amen? Until Jesus returns, There will always be false doctrines and false teachers. Which means that you, beloved, who share this common salvation, who have received the word of God, you, beloved, must continue to live in a way that holds up the truth of the gospel because every day between now and when we meet Jesus, there's going to be a battle. False teachers... False doctrines are going to abound in this world. And while we can wish for a time where false teachers and false doctrines do not exist, it is, much, it is a much better use of our time if we will concentrate on the efforts that can cause us to stand firm, to be, point number one, protected. Jude points out four things in this Scripture that we just read that can encourage the followers of Christ to protect themselves. Do you know that you need to take actions this week to protect your walk with Christ? Because if you think you've got it already, you could be going backwards. And so every week you get on the defense, because when do I, as your pastor, just get to start running with traffic running up behind me? When do you want me to stop doing things that protect me? You don't. You're going, you always need to protect. You always need, Jeff, to be the pastor who lives above and lives according to God's word. You always need to recognize that if you are not careful, you can fall. You guys would all give me that counsel. Why? Because we know too many people who have taken their eye off of the ultimate target of bringing glory to God, through his son Jesus, and have slipped away. So being protective. And so Jude points out four things really quickly here. Look at verse 20. One of the first things you can do to protect yourself is to build up your faith. See that in verse 20. This is the same faith that Jude mentioned in verse 3 when he said this, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. To build up your faith, church, simply means to grow and mature spiritually. We must learn all that we can from Scripture. We had a great conversation in the small group that that I'm a part of each Sunday morning, and you guys can already know that if you're not in a small group, I'll invite you to one. I'll make one for you. It's important. You're going, Jeff, you don't need to go there. We, We get it. Did you know that it's working, though? Did you know that we are having more people in Sunday school, right now, on a weekly basis, than we have had in years. And I believe that it's directly tied to the growth that we're seeing, directly tied to the effectivity that we'll see. But church, we cannot think that we've arrived. We must protect ourselves. And church, every single one of us, starting with me, must seek to build up our faith. We must learn all we can from Scripture. We must believe all that we can in Scripture. And we must do all that comes from Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. All Scripture, all, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good If we want to be trained in righteousness and equipped for every good work, we must make the Scriptures, God's Word, a central part of our every single day. Amen? If we are going to be equipped, church, we must make the Word the central foundation of our every day. You don't have to amen that. It's true. And if you're like me, it's a challenge to every day be in the Word. It's a challenge every day to yield to the Word. It's a challenge. And that's why Jude is telling them, but you, beloved, because of your salvation, because we've been given the truth of God... You need to protect yourselves and build up your faith. You will not meet a strong Christian who ignores the word of God. This is a discipline and a choice that a believer who desires to grow in his relationship with the Lord will make. Now, I can share with you testimony after testimony after testimony, but let me just appeal to what you know to be true. If you have ever decided to make the Word of God important in your life, if you have ever been in it, dug in it, went to classes in it, spent time in it, listen, I've got people who come to me every week going, let me tell you what the Word of God is doing in my life. Be in the Word. Build up your faith. Make these choices. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14 says this. The writer of Hebrews is challenging the believers. He said, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you may come, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The writer of Hebrews is saying, if you want to grow up strong in the Lord, be in the word. But he said the evidence of whether you're in the word or not is not your word, it's your life. I've enjoyed seeing Addie go from nursing to baby food because I got to help feed, right? And then from baby food to french fries. Her parents may or may not have known when she had her first french fry. But she loves dipping them in ketchup. Okay? And then you see her grow into all kinds of foods. That's the natural process of us physically. And Jude is reminding us what the Bible teaches us, that that is a natural, should be a natural growth for us spiritually to be in the Word of God. Question, how much time have you spent in God's Word this week? Church, in order to protect yourself, you must build up your faith by being in the Word. So first thing, build up your faith is a way to protect yourself. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jude goes on to say. This is referring to praying under the direction and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6:18 says, "Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints." Romans 8:26 summarizes and says that we are to trust him. I wrote this down. We are to trust him that would be the Holy Spirit to intercede with us for groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit is a Is your guide, is your lead in your spiritual life growing? The Holy Spirit desires to guide you in your prayers. The Holy Spirit desires to make Scripture come to life. The Holy Spirit will convict of you of sin and error. We must get to know and recognize and then follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I had this question asked to me this week by someone that... I would have thought, got it. They said, why are we using the term he, a pronoun, as it relates to the Holy Spirit? Well, my answer was because he is a person of God. He desires to work in your life. This is a personal relationship that just like you need to be choosing to be in the Word of God, you must allow this person of God, this Holy Spirit, to have this lead. Give them the reins in your life. The Holy Spirit is not something that we fail to talk about or that we're scared of. The Holy Spirit has been working To get you to the point that you knew the gospel, the Holy Spirit was working when you accepted the gospel, and the Holy Spirit continues to work as you grow in the gospel. The Holy Spirit, you must allow the Holy Spirit to move and work in your life. We must get to know the Spirit of God. Jesus says, you want to protect yourself? Build up your faith. Be in the Word. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Get to know your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Number three, look what it says here. It says, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself. Now, this is not a statement that says that you must do something in order to remain in God. That's not what this statement means. Rather, it says that you should live in faith and obedience to God. John 15, 10, and 1 John 3, 24 remind us of this simple statement. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. Romans six seventeen says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Listen, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. When we learn God's word, when we allow the spirit to lead and guide, we will then be kept in the love of God because our lives will then begin to be obediently following God's word. When we obey God's commands, we stay in the love of God. You could even say that when we obey God's commands, we stay in love with God. This protects us. Building up your faith, being in the word, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, keeping that relationship fresh, keeping yourself in the love of God, allowing the word of God to be obediently worked out through your life. And then it says, look for the mercy of Christ Jesus and eternal life. This could be called perseverance. Do you know that we must live in the hope of the return of Christ? If I told you right now that Jesus was not coming back, that it's not going to end the way that we desire, that the word is not true. You know what you would begin to do? You'd begin to close your Bible. You'd begin to set it aside. You'd stop attending. You'd stop living. You would lose the hope that you had. But can I tell you that when you build up your faith in the word of God, when you allow the Holy Spirit to be that guide in your life, when you seek to obey the word of God, what you find is that the hope in you swells up and swells up because you know that Jesus is coming back and you know that every day you are called to live faithfully for him, looking forward to that day. That's the hope that we have, and a life with hope is important. This hope captivates us. It challenges us, and it calls us to live in certain ways. Titus 2.13 says this, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, if you want to stay in love with God every day, keep looking for him to return. And even if he does not return in our lifetime, when we die and go into the presence of the Lord, we will receive his mercy and his grace and eternal life. Church, when you are living for that day, when Jesus returns, it will continually drive you to be surrendered today. Just a natural reaction. So look at those different ways. Jude is saying, if you want to be protected, build your faith. Be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Love God's word and obey it and keep hope. Faith, hope, and love. Jude says, that's how you're going to grow. Living your lives according to these four encouragements will safeguard you, will protect you against false doctrines and false teachers. It will make your personal life better. It'll make your marriage better. It'll make every other relationship in life better when you allow the word of God to protect you in this way. Now, after we've built our faith, I told you there were three words. I said protective. Now, we're, we're majoring in that one. And I know if I'm you, and this is how my mind thinks, Jeff gave me three points. He just spent X time on point number one. He's got two more points I can add. That's a long time from now. Don't worry. It's all going to be fine. But look at our second word. After we have built up our faith to protect ourselves, he challenges them, us, you, to live a life that is effective. Until the day the Lord returns, the believer is to continually share what he has received in the gospel. Did you know that every day you have an assignment? It should be an assignment that comes out of the overflow of the protected life, the life yielded to God, that every day when you get up after having been in the Word, in the relationship with the Spirit, obeying God's Word and having the hope of Jesus, that every day you share Jesus with other people. Every day... You find a way to share your faith with people. That's how your life becomes effective. Jude, in verse 22 and 23, he mentions two types of people. And we're called to look out for people, to love them, to share the gospel with them, to challenge them to live lives appealing to God. Verse 22, it says, On some have compassion, making a distinction. Now, these people most likely are Christians who are struggling, who are not maturing in the Word, who aren't following the guidelines of being protected. They may be walking with doubts, they might be falling for some of this guidance of false teachers or false doctrines that are out there. They have a faith, but that faith is not maturing and growing. And Jude says that you need to come alongside with compassion and walk with them. Those who have a mature faith must have mercy and compassion with them. And you're going, well, how do I know if I'm a person who has mature faith? When you see someone whose faith is struggling, does it move you to desire to get involved? You see, if you see someone's faith not maturing and you're okay with it, well, it's because your faith isn't maturing. But if that bothers you, if that unsettles you, if you feel like I want to do something, that means that you're of the mature faith and you need to have compassion. You need to teach them how to build their faith, prayer, love, and hope. We need to be sensitive to people. We need to listen to them. We need to walk with them, teach, share with them, and hold them accountable, those who desire to grow but struggle in their faith. Church, in a word, this is called discipleship. It's not easy becoming a follower of Christ when you have previously been a follower of self. And it's a transition that we must walk through. And those of us that have walked that transition further, should be willing, Jews says, to walk with those who need help. Verse 23 says, but others, you notice he talked about these kind of people, and he said, but others save with fear. Some translations talk about save with caution. Likely, this is referring to non-Christians, those who do not yet have faith. They do not doubt because they do not yet see a need to believe. Do you know that people who do not know Jesus, they don't walk around in a state of, of, of doubt. They think they know. They find their confidence in the world and in their own beliefs. What we've got to do is live and show them. But it says that we need to do this with caution. Even the strongest Christian is not beyond falling away. When you get to a point, when I get to a point where we can just nonchalant walk in and think that we've got it figured out, you know what we've done? We've stopped protecting ourselves. And when we stop protecting ourselves, we stay out of the word. We let the spirit sometimes have his way. We're ambivalent toward obeying God's word. When we do that, we, we lose our hope. It's not something that drives us every day. And when we lose the protective arm, we could be at risk. I've mentioned to you that I have people that pray for me every, probably every day. Many of you probably pray for me. But every week, we gather together on Sunday mornings at 8.15, and you're welcome to join us. And one of the things that, without fail, one or more of the men that I pray with pray for, is they pray that Jeff would be kept from Satan, that he would not be tempted, that he would not fail, that he would not wreck his personal ministry. Do you know that can still happen? There is many a pastor that has stood in the pulpit one Sunday, and then the following week, all things changed. So when we approach people, you can't forget protective as you're being effective. And Jude says that when we talk to these people, we must do it with caution. That's not that we are afraid of them. It's that we need to understand that this is a spiritual battle that God leads and guides, that we've been saved from, and that we are entering into to be an effective witness and testimony of God, and we need to take that very seriously Because if you walk in with someone, and just think about someone who needs Jesus, and likely their life is not about Jesus at all. And I pray that God draws you toward trying to live for them and encourage them to come to know Jesus. I need you to be careful. Be careful that you don't stop the protective portion of your life so that you can remain effective as you interact with them. Do you know that these people, those that need Jesus, they will benefit when we live a life sold out to Christ. These people need a strong example and a witness to follow. They need to see something different. These people need us to get involved, to have strong faith, leaning on the Holy Spirit, staying in love with God by being obedient, and always having the hope that keeps us moving forward in the faith. We must pray for God to use us to draw them to our most wonderful Savior. Protective. Effective. And then the word that I walked around half the week talking, trying to figure out, and it hit me. Prospective. Jude ends in what many believe as the loftiest doxology in scripture. Let me just read these beautiful words, verse 24 and 25 again. It says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you falless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I looked up the word prospective. It means expecting to be something particular in the future. To have an eventual expectation. It is that Thing that you are hoping for. We can look forward to God doing many things in our future. And Jude just lists a few of them. He's going to keep you from stumbling. If you follow the guidelines of June for a protective life, then you will have an effective life and then you can count on God providing and taking care of you so that you will not stumble. It says that he will pre- present us blameless before God, that He will fill our lives with exceeding joy. Do you know how much joy that is? Me neither. I just know that it's greater than I can think and imagine. It's greater than I can hope for. It's exceeding joy. Joy beyond what we can understand. And He will lead us into the presence of God. Church, can I remind you, one day, maybe soon, you will be ushered into the presence of God. The literal, physical, real presence of God. And in that moment, it's all going to be clear who he is, and it's all going to be clear who you are as well. And the gospel, when we allow it to have its protective work and its effective work, prospectively promises to bring us into the presence of God, to where there is no shame, there is no guilt, there is no fear. It's exceeding joy. And I pray that that's what you're looking forward to. But so many times in the game, we get tired. You know, I watched some football yesterday. Many of you probably did too. You know, one of the things that um, I was reminded of is that lots of times, halftime is an important time. I've seen teams come out and just not perform well. And then you come out after halftime, and it looks like they're just totally different team. And you go, what happens? Well, I don't know that I can quote to you what happens and what's said, but I can tell you most likely what's happened. They're being reminded of what they know. They're being reminded of what they're supposed to do. They're being reminded that it takes a team. They're being reminded that it's important how you play, that you can make a difference if you will just follow protective and do effective. And look forward to the victory prospective. And so it's almost like we're in halftime. I told you next week we're going to remember through the Lord's Supper. We're going to spend time really understanding that. And I pray that you'll allow the Lord to have access to your life all week. But in that moment when we remember I pray that God reminds you of this sermon all week. And not this sermon, but this truth of God's word. It matters how we live. But I need to remind you, do you know as much as one day it is true that we will stand before God, it is equally true that every other person, including those who do not yet know Jesus, they will one day stand before God. That should call us to action. That should motivate us. That should send us out of this halftime pep rally into the world tomorrow sharing Jesus. Because if they don't come to know Jesus, it does not end well for them. Do not be satisfied that it ends well for you. Based on how I read, the child of God is only motivated by the love and the salvation that we have to live that life for others. And that's what Jude's saying. Be protective, be effective, and prospective. It's all going to be worth it.